welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. That's uh, good to see you. Is all well? Yes? Yeah? Some of you aren't sure if you're well or not. My goodness. Um, I, uh, I grew up in a house where my father was, uh, and still is, very handy, right? He can fix anything, fix most things. If you give him anything, he's a bit of a nightmare, actually, because at Christmas and stuff like that, when we got our new toys, like if, if he was left unsupervised for anything more than like five minutes, he would start to unscrew them. Do you know what I mean? So you'd be going like, Dad, that's my new present. Hold on a minute here, son. And he's got the, he's pulling it apart. And, you know, you'd have your new... Uh, Millennium Falcon, which I loved from Star Wars, and it'd be in like 15 pieces, because he's, ah, see the way they've done that, it's very clever, and uh, all the rest, and just like screwing bits and pieces out of it, right? <laughs> and you're like, seriously? And so, uh, but the, the thing, that, that that's the good thing, when you grow up in a house like that, the bad thing is you never learn to do anything, isn't that right? That's until YouTube came along. So I stand before you, a renewed man this morning, there is a point to this story, uh, because Penny drives an old Land Rover. And uh, anyone knows, even new Land Rovers break down, never mind the old ones. And so we, Penny loves your, you love your Land Rover, don't you? Can't get rid of it. Just keeps hanging around. And I keep saying, if it goes through the MOT, we'll keep it. Flipping thing keeps passing. It's blessed. <laughs> Flipping blessed. No way, Lord said he'd bless everything in your household. The la- anyway, the battery's been a bit dodgy. So what do you do? Like, well, what, what you could do is you could take it to the people who made it, Right. Uh, because they'd probably know what they're doing. But, oh, no, you don't need to do that. So I thought, it couldn't be that hard. <laughs> I'm going to change the battery in the Land Rover. So I went and I bought one. Step number one. And I walked out of the place. I actually walked into the place, and I went, the thing keeps going flat. What do, what do we do? And he says, well, it's an alternator. I said, that sounds too complicated. I've Googled, and it sounds like a battery. He went, I think it's the alternator. I said, never you worry, Mr. Partsman. Give me a battery, <laughs> right? I'm going with the battery first, right? Because I hadn't Googled changing an alternator. I'd only Googled changing a battery. And I thought, Lord, if it is the alternator, you need to change it to the battery. Anyway, I did that. And it was all going well, wasn't it? It was all going quite well. And um, like I got it in. And then there's these wee things that you have to screw down. I kind of dropped them into the engine, right? And there was no way I'm getting them out. So I think they're important, but I'm not sure, because the thing's still working at the minute anyway. All right? It holds the wee things down. The, the leads and to keep the battery in. So, so one morning this week, Penny, you just, uh, Penny was going out to do so, some work for, for, for our business and uh, you get the phone call, this car's not working. And I'm like, she's only in the drive giving off, right? And I'm like, oh, for flip's sake. So um, I went out and flicked that bonnet, love. <laughs> <laughs> like I know what I'm doing. Flick that bonnet. <laughs> so I went in and I thought, I have no clue. She's going to kill me. I should have taken it to Land Rover, nightmare, da-da-da. So all I did was I looked at one of the wee leads which didn't have the thingy on the top because it's in the engine somewhere. And I thought, I've got away with it for like a week. It should be all right. So I just went like this here and nearly electrocuted myself, right? <laughs> thought, note to self, don't touch the red one, right? Comes back very quick. Oh, I did say it in the YouTube video, didn't he? <laughs> right? oh, but try not to let on as I whack my head off the thing and all. And I said... Uh, Try that there, kind of. First time. I was like, yes. Got away with that. Dodged a bullet. Isn't it interesting? And uh, so Penny went off, said to me, you better get this fixed because I can't put up with this every morning. (laughs) I was like, never you worry. So uh, what I I should have done, right, was take the thing back to the person who made it, right or wrong. Because they they made it, they know what's best for it, don't they? 
I was talking about this on, uh, on Wednesday night. I just want to continue. I'm going to continue in Ezra, and today's called A Time to Build. Um, uh, and yeah, don't judge me, all right? I mean, like, I, I, I feel kind of judged this morning. People sitting there going, for goodness sake, what an agent. You go out and change it. God does never try, doesn't he? And uh, <laughs> we were talking yesterday, Penny and uh, Penny and I, and I was going, Pam, we need to sort a few things out, and da da da. And she went, we need to sort out the AA straight away. She went, we're not in the AA, we need to be in the AA. And I went, you have no faith in me at all. Isn't it funny? Um, hold that story in your head because there is a reason for it. Um, is there a reason for it? I hope there is. Yes, there is. On Wednesday night, I'm going to continue in Ezra 5. We've been looking at, you remember when we come to the Word of God, it runs on two levels. There is a word for you, and there's a word that speaks into the situation that we're in, particularly as a church right now, as we look into our own future. And uh, today, I want to, I'm, I'm telling my, my sermon, You're Called to Build. And we're going to look at Ezra chapter 5 today. Uh, in the next week, Adam's going to start to look at Nehemiah for us. And it's going to be, you need to receive the word this morning. Because what, if, if, you, if you don't rightly divide the word, okay, you get into trouble. If you have a heart that, that whenever you hear the word, that it, it feels like burden to you, okay, sometimes that's not the person who's giving you the word, that's your perception of what the word means. Do you get that? So what happens if we're not careful at times, what we'll do is we'll take the word of God and we'll go, that doesn't make me feel too good. <laughs> too good. <laughs> right? <laughs> Felt better in my head than what actually came out, right? And so what we, do, and what, what we need to understand is that, we, that, that we, we still have this thing called the flesh in us, Right? Our spirit is made perfect in you. You're the righteousness of Christ. And we are being transformed from grace to grace, right? And so the thing this morning is, because particularly when you look at, I'm going to read some, some I'm going I'm to teach you again. Is that okay? It's going to be a bit teachy at parts as I start to draw threads from different parts of, of the Old Testament. I think you're going to enjoy it as we look at this, this, um, this book of Ezra. But there's a couple of points in there where as I was reading them, I thought, I've, I've heard these before myself. And it, it, it even caused me to stop and to think, all right? To go, okay, Lord, what are you saying? What does this actually mean through the lens of your grace? Whenever I put your grace over this, I put the finished work of Jesus over, over this bit of your word. How does that, what does that mean for me and how does it transform me? Is that okay? Because if I see it through the flesh or if I see it through legalism, if I see it through what the demands that it feels like it places on me, then all bets are off and I'm walking out of here going, not a chance. Do you get that? However, it's a bit like the story I just told you. You know, don't we all believe that God created us? In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. You know all that stuff, right? We talked about this. I'm just going to cover over a point that I made on Wednesday night at our Faith Foundations course. Like, it is absolutely correct. If, if something breaks, the most, like the, the most obvious thing to do to get it fixed is to go to the person who made it because they understand it. Do you get that? And so it's exactly the same with the Lord. You know, you were conceived way before the beginning of time in the heart of the Lord. And it wasn't just that he put you together. Sometimes we think that's just the Psalms, isn't it? He knit me together, almost like kind of like Play-Doh'd me together and ruled me and here I am, right? It wasn't, it was actually in his heart and in his mind, he conceived you. He created you in his thinking and in his heart and in his intention. And he made you from that place. 
And so what that means for you today is if you're looking at any area of your life and any point in your life and you're thinking, how do I, what happens, where should I turn? Go back to the one who made you. Do you understand that? Because he knows you intimately. He knows you from the very inside out, from the most basic DNA level and even beneath that. Because from, from before time, he conceived you and he put you together. And I'm talking about you, not just people, you. And so if you have something that is misaligned or, mis- or broken or not fixed, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Don't do what I do. Shake the lead and pray that she makes it to, the, to work, right? That's what I did. And uh, prayer of a righteous man is effective, though, because she made it there and back. All right, thank you, Jesus. Live the fight another day. But go to the one who made you. Because what he says, the word testifies for itself. His words are life and health. His words are exactly what you need. His wisdom is what we need. Why? Because he made us in the first place and so he understands us better than anyone. He understands us better than the world. He understands us better than whatever pastor you love or whatever teaching you love. No, all of that is like the word himself, Jesus himself, who created you knows what's best for you. And that's gonna be really important as we get into, into this morning. Is that all right? Okay, so what I said, let me just quickly, uh, I'm going to jump into the New Testament first in John, and then I'm going to go back to Ezra chapter 5. Remember last week I said the altar is rebuilt on its foundations, this flooding back to any of you, if you haven't listened, you need to, Um, because what happens is they put the altar, the place of atonement, back at the very center. Before they start to build anything else, what do they do? Put the finished work of Jesus right at the very center. That's the message for us today. And then as soon as you put Jesus at the center in all of his grace, what happens is adversaries come. Adversaries, like we, we tend to think at times, it's like uh, that we're out there going, wah, 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 and trying to chop our way through life. And it's not that at all. Actually, your battle is on the inside, not on the outside. You get that? Uh, because it says in first, 2 Kings 17.33, the adversaries that rise up against this altar at the center of their lives are called the Samaritans. They're religious half-breeds. And it says in 2 Kings 17.33, they feared the Lord, talking about the Samaritans, uh, that yet served their own gods. So uh, there's this thing of going, yeah, God, I know you. I know who you are. But when it comes to it, it says here, they served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried away. And so what happens is, that they they kind of know of God, they know of the things of God, they might even have the language and some of the customs of God, but it is so mixed up with everything that goes on in the day as to make them completely like foreign to who God is. Do you get that? And, And who they're called. It's not like, it sounds the same, it looks the same, there's some of the same language. And so somewhere in there, like how is that an adversary? Why? Because if it's not completely Jesus and his finished work, if it's not completely the work of grace, if it's you plus tradition, ritual, everything else that you bring, you are doomed for disaster. And so your enemy is not everything that's going out on in the world and the people in the world. The enemy for us as believers or the, the fight, if you like, is the fight of faith. And what's the fight of faith? To believe for all this stuff. No, to believe for righteousness. The the best use of your faith is to believe for righteousness. And when the adversaries come up, what are they doing? If they can take righteousness from you or undermine righteousness from you, what happens is you fall. And we've got to be wise to this because that's what happens when you start to build. When you start to build and God is building in your life and we build as a church, the adversaries that come will not be people, you know, chucking petrol bombs, you know, a la Belfast style at the front door. Do you know what I mean? Or picketing us. I kind of would be up for that, you know. No? 
I just I kind of think it's only bad if they're not talking about you. Get that out there. At least it gets us some publicity, right? And that's the thing. And you kind of go, look, like that may or may not happen, but that's not the point for you tomorrow morning in your life. The issue is righteousness. It's grace at the center and the work of Jesus at the very center for me with my heart and my intention and my life built around that. And from that place, I receive all that I need, every bit of what I need. And if righteous, and I can own it, when, I'm, when I know that I'm righteous, fully acceptable to God through the grace of Jesus, his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor in my life, at that point as I receive, I can receive anything when I know it's undeserved. Do you get that? When I know that I don't earn it, I can receive it. But at the point where I feel like I've got to earn something, then it's very sticky. You'll fail. You will fail. Guaranteed, 100% because you were never built that way. So go to the creator. And so what I said on Wednesday night before I get into the, this, this bit of Ezra was, you know, um, I said it's, inc- it's incredibly important to understand, like when Jesus does something for the first time, there is a message for us. And in John chapter two, you read that the, the, what's called the miracle at Cana. It's called miracle in English, but actually in the original language, it's a sign. It's called a sign of what happens in Cana. And it's the first public sign that Jesus performs. And we all know what it is. I'm not going to read it. It's, he turns the water into wine. And there's a basic pattern that starts to emerge here where what Jesus is going to say, he's going to reveal something to you this morning. And then he's going to say, okay, make your choice based on what I've just revealed. What are you going to do? How, do you, how are you going to say like what we call in theology revelation and response? So God reveals, we respond. That's how we're called to live. That's what worship is, a revelation of God, and then we respond to that. And so there's this revelation and response point going on here. And what Jesus is basically saying is, who do you say that I am? And it's significant because there's a picture here of six ceremonial water jars. Now, you all know it. I'm just going to make a point that sits underneath it because often we miss it. Six ceremonial water jars speak of people. The number six in the Bible is is humanity. And so you've got six jars, and they were used for ceremonial cleansing under the law. And they're filled with water. And they're, they're filled with water, and they're at a wedding. And the, the guys have run out of booze, quite frankly. Let me just put it in common parlance for you. And that's a bad thing for the family. More so for the Everyone talks about how this is bad for the family. I'm thinking, if you sent me to a wedding and all there was was water to drink, I would be struggling. Let's be honest. I can't do weddings really anyway, unless I really know the people, you know? I like that, but see the thought of having to do a wedding and there's no wine at it. Like seriously, I'm heading for the hills. Is that too honest? So you can drink water all day long. It's, it's not going to do you any good. Well, you'll run to the loo a lot, but it's apart from that. Do you know what I mean? There will be no life and celebration flowing because you're up to here in water, fizzy or not. All right? And so this is a problem. And so Jesus, and there's, there's this picture of, when it, it's a, just a picture of the law. It is powerless to bring life and celebration and fullness and wholeness and healing to your life, no matter how much there is of it. And so what Jesus does, in a moment, he touches it. And then he said, and what happens is it produces the finest of wine. We know the story, don't we? And it's a picture of this life and celebration flowing from the inside. Now, we look at that and we go, God can do anything. It's a miracle. He can turn my situation around. And there's all this top level thinking that goes on around that story. And all of it is true. But there's something that sits underneath it. Why did Jesus do this one first? Well, of course, there's an echo back to the very first um, miracle of Moses, whenever, back whenever people are being led, right, out of slavery into freedom, the very first thing that happens when Moses says no and his heart's hardened is that he, um, um, what do you call him, Moses turns the river Nile into blood, and 
you know, it's not great, right? People start to die and it gets stinking and all the rest of it. And so there's this hark back to the first time that something is done publicly, all right? This time it's not about death, it's about life and celebration because in the mind of a Jew at that time, the whole way through, what they longed for when the Messiah would come was not just, you know, through their whole history, like we're just coming out of like the Babylonian bit, aren't we? You know, the, you know they're, they're captive, they're not. They're captive, they're not. They longed for freedom. They longed for a time when they would be completely free. And one of the marks of the kingdom that would come with the Messiah, we can read about it in Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines, right? So the Messiah's kingdom, what wine was, why did Jesus go water to wine. He could have done anything. Like, see, if I had been Jesus, I would have gone for like six dead people getting them up. What would you have, no, seriously, what would you have gone for? Like, you're going for big impact, aren't you? I would. I would have walked around going, he's dead, up he goes, look at that. Oh, I'd have had him running like Linford Christie up and down, right? What do you see? In my human mind anyway, but Jesus, what, what he's doing, he's not just announcing at this top level, he's actually getting to something really core, that's important for us today. What he's saying is this kingdom that I am bringing you into, and if you're a believer in Christ this morning, you are there. But this kingdom is about life. It's about celebration. It's about fullness. It's about oversupply. Remember 840 bottles here that the Lord produces in a moment of the finest quality right? It was way more than what they needed for the wedding. The, the religious bit of us will go, what a waste. Why did he do that? That's so wasteful. He should have just given them a glass and a half and told them to be on their way. And sure, blushes would have been spared. Isn't that right? But the Lord says, no, I tell you what, what do you need? You need a bottle of wine? Have 840 of them. And it's not just the, the old cheap Tesco great with chicken stuff. This is proper Ernest and Julio I'm talking. Do you know what I mean? He went <laughs> the full hog, right? Ernest and Julio. And a uh, book. And we have this mindset, don't we? We have this mindset, and that's the Jesus who made you. That's the Jesus who knows what's best for you. Why? Because that very Jesus who in this moment is, is just oversupplying, overabundantly, overfilling, overflowing into this moment is the same Jesus who made you and is looking at your life today and going, I know what you need. Do you get that? That's the kingdom of God's grace for you today. Whatever your need is, it is oversupplied already. He's not holding back on you. He's not pulling back on you. He's not saying you need to try harder. He's not doing any of that stuff. He's going, do you understand that this is who I am for you today? Now, there's some wisdom in it, which we're gonna get into in the book of Ezra. But unless we approach it, that's why you approach everything in the Bible through the lens of the finished work. And you put the finished work over everything and say, right, Lord, what does that now tell me about what your heart for me is and what your intention for me is? Because if I take away the finished work of Jesus and his grace, then I'm left with nothing but me and what I can do. And that will feel like weight and heaviness on you. And that's not what the Lord has for you today. Amen? So let's turn up Ezra chapter five. We're gonna get reading because, um, because this is all about building. And... Uh, what happens is we're gonna see something here. You know, if, if you don't have a revelation of Jesus and his fullness for you, you act out of what is called a scarcity mindset. This is what the world calls it. You know, if, if you wanna, why do you act selfishly? Have you ever thought about that? Why do you put yourself first in things? Why do you struggle to serve or to give or to 
do whatever, right? Why is that? If you want to get to the root of it, it goes right back to the very root of what happened in the Garden of Eden. It's, it's a manifestation of self and a manifestation of selfishness. And where does selfishness come from? The belief that God is not enough. He's not enough. It's not what the enemy did at the very start. Like they're, they're standing in Eden, walking around Eden, walking with, like with the Lord himself. And what happens, the adversary comes. Remember, just have that picture of adversary being, you know, it's not just about the Lord and what he does, but it's about, you know, in this case, it was about lack. You know, you've got all this, but you can't eat from that tree. Why is he holding back on you? Why can you not go to there and eat? You see, it wasn't everything that you've got, it's what you didn't have. And it sows something into the heart of Eve. Right at the, and that still sits in us today. That's the heart of the issue. Some people call it rebellion. Some people call it, but that's the heart of our issue. That's why we're selfish. Because actually, it's not just that we're bad people. It's because we don't believe that he's enough. And so what we believe is that there is a scarcity. That means that if I fully do what the Lord asks of me and what he says, and I take him in trust in that, actually, we don't believe that he's going to come through. And so that's called scarcity mindset. There's not enough for me. He won't do it for me. And so therefore we pull back. And what happens is we have just given in to the adversary that rises against us, where it's me plus Jesus and his work. Does that make sense? Because if you think about it, that's why I think that's why the Lord starts his ministry, public ministry in Canada to go, this whole kingdom that you are going to be part of to them and for us, we're now fully in this kingdom, is so massively generous and full and abundant. It's like, if you need healing, I'm going to overheal you. If you need finance, I will oversupply. If you need peace and, and, and like, Breakthrough, I will, this kingdom does not hold back in any way. It oversupplies in every area for you. Somebody say amen. My God, do you believe it? Because when you don't believe it, that's why you act selfishly. That's why I act selfishly. Because I go, yeah, I hear that, but I don't believe it. So my only, if, if he's not going to be faithful to his word, then the only, what, what's my only option? I do it. And then I go back to me. Right? That's, that, that, that's where it comes from. And so I think we act selfishly because our revelation of Jesus is just far too small. We don't see that every need is met in his work of grace. And when we don't do, see that, our only option then is to get right back and put responsibility on our shoulders. That includes comfort. That includes what will make you feel better about your life. So let's, let's there's, a, there's a wee bit about this in the story of Ezra. And that's why, let me come back to it now. What are you building? So in Ezra, let's, let's read the first bit of, of Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Because what, what we found out, excuse me, what we found out, remember, was that when the adversaries came, I, I said to you in your life, like, for as long as you, what, what we see here is, that, remember that they write three, there's three kings, and they write letters, and the, the building, the, the work of building is, is delayed, but never denied. So what happens is whenever in your life you take that step, and you're working, you know, it's like, Lord, I can't trust you in this because that's what it is. It's not that I, you know, I know what you're saying, but honestly, even when you say it and I hear it and I receive bits of it into my heart, I still, when push comes to shove, I can't fully throw myself onto your grace. So I'm left 
just in that halfway house. So what happens then is it never stops the work of God in your life. Isn't that good? Why? Because his grace overcomes it, but it will slow it down. <laughs> That's the point. It will slow it down. This is what happens. The, the work is slowed down until the second year, remember, of Darius the king. And then he start. we're going to read it. It's really cool because the Lord sends prophets. The Lord sends people to speak, to speak to the people of God and go, hey, there's a couple of things you need to think about here because like the work of God, if he started something in you, he's going to finish it. Amen? But you know what? Like don't have him take 30 years to do something which he can do in the next five minutes. Do you get that? Because we can do that. Ultimately, God will keep pulling us and dragging us and encouraging us and loving us into our futures and into our purposes, right? But if we keep wolf, but he'll not, he's not, he's not going to actually drag you by the hair. He's going to keep putting grace in front of you like he does with, if you look the whole way through Jesus's ministry, what does he do? He does something, says, now make up your mind. Who do you say I am? Amen? Great book, by the way. You should pick one up after, if you haven't, and make a review on Amazon. Thank you. All right, so let's, God helps us, people. Right. So there's two guys, Haggai and Zechariah, right? You love them, don't you? People are going, who? Oh, please don't ask me a question. I should, do you know what? No way you always get to sit and watch me every Sunday. What I should do is I should pick on one of you and go, Louise, tell me what you think Haggai's prophecy means this morning. I'm not going to do that. Let's read it. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah. Now, if you read the very beginning of the book of Haggai, it says in the second year of the reign of King Darius. This is where you can start to draw lines all the way through your Bible. They're not random. They're there for a purpose. So at the point where we're reading in Ezra, where it's into the second year of the reign of King Darius, this is where the book of Haggai, a prophetic book, starts, right? And you just have to join the two together. And because this is at the point, at the point where it feels like the work of God is delayed and they're wanting to get restarted, the Lord sends a prophet to make that happen. And so that's where the book of Haggai starts in Haggai 1, in the second reign of Darius, the second year of the reign of King Darius. The prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Ido, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. In the name of the God of Israel, who was over them, so Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Joshua, the son of Josadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. This is interesting. The prophets of God got their, their sleeves rolled up and got stuck in. You can read about it later. Let me read that again. The prophet Haggai, so there's two prophets raised up by God. The son of Ido, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of him, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build a house. So what was it that they said? So God sends two prophets. There is a delay. They're feeling delay and frustration because God has called them. They've done the right thing. They've put the altar at the, at the start. Adversaries are coming up. Is it, you know, these condemning voices, as I talked about in the three different ways that they were, they were attacked. And it was, it was about condemnation, about all that sort of stuff. And essentially it was taken away from the altar that was in the middle of them, right? And so Haggai comes and what does he say? You'll, you'll know these verses, some of you. So in the second year of King Darius, let's read here in Haggai 1, 2 to 10, I think I've got it. Um, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest. So all I've done is taken Ezra, chapter 5, put it together with Haggai, okay? This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now remember, 
they are stuck. They're stuck. And this is what the Lord's going to speak to them. First of all, there's two different messages, two prophets, two different messages. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Talking about the house of God. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Right? Think about it. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anyone? Not that it has holes in it. The whole backside's falling clean out of it. Anyone find that at times? You go, in one end. Yeah? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Nothing new under the sun, folks. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. It's interesting that... um, like, there's a guy called Adney I was reading. He's, he, he writes these um, kind of, like, studies around this stuff. And he says, the two prophets who now proclaim their message, I love this one, in Jerusalem, appeared at a time of deep depression. They were not born on the crest of a wave or a religious revival. <laughs> it's like, I read that and I thought, isn't that really interesting? They were really cheesed off, these people. They had, they had come back out of it. Like, they come back out of exile, they're wanting to see, you know, they're, they're having adversaries come their way. Like they're kind of pretty low. They're not on the crest of a wave here. And so they're saying, Lord, give us a word. Well, here's the prophet coming, Haggai. Brilliant, what's he gonna say? He's just said that. Flipping Nora, that doesn't help me, All right? You see, because he's actually rebuking the people for their attitude towards building the house of God. Now, let me help you with this. Remember where I started today? Everything he says comes from a place of grace and a place of oversupply and overabundance. But there's something in this which I find is really interesting. First of all, okay, he's saying that people made their excuse to sound spiritual. This isn't the time to do this. It's not the time for it. Why, why, was, why is God so concerned with his house? In the Old Testament times, the, the temple, the tabernacle first and then the temple was the place where heaven meets earth. Yeah? Do you get that? So if you, the only place you get was the Holy of Holies, but only the priest could go there, but everyone else could come there, find a place of atonement, the altar. Yeah? That's why God said, build my house. Then Jesus comes and he goes, you should read this in my book, it's awesome. He, he, is the t- he is heaven on earth. He's the place where the fullness of heaven now touches earth, right? And we bring people to a place of his atonement, which is called the church. Right? Why do you think Jesus loves his church so much? Because it's a place where people find atonement and grace. And so what he's not saying is, for goodness sake, people, do you not care about this? There's an undertone of that. He's going, do you not see how important this is? My whole purpose is for men and women and children and everybody else to find in these days grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. This is why I came and what he's saying is, honestly, there's just people who go, ah, but it's not the time to really give myself to that. 
It's not the time. That's where they start off. Now, what's the Lord trying to do? He's trying to bring you from grace to grace and glory to glory. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in this, this was not a, the prophet. I, I've, I've been bashed over the head with these verses. That's why this week I had to really think about them. I've been bashed over the head with them. People going, for goodness sake, because he goes on. And then the Lord goes, no, 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 no. Start with who I am, what you know about my cross and my finished work of grace, the abundance of my kingdom, and tell me how I'm ministering into that place of selfishness in your heart, which is an adversary to the grace that I'm trying to bring about in your life. Do you get that? And you kind of go, okay, he's not beating me, he's freeing me. Amen? That's important. He's never beating you, he's freeing you. So let's, let's go on to it because there's some, some cool bits in this. Then the, the prophet rebuked them with pointed words. Pointed words. Ooh. Remember we used to say he's so pointy? My pointy head. Haggai's got a pointy head going on here, right? Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple lies in ruins. Haggai 1.4. So these people are making it sound spiritual. You know, just don't feel the Lord's telling me right now. Could you help us with that? Well, I need to pray about it. Oh, shut up. You can, can you help us or not? Is what goes in my head, all right? So if you ever say to me, I need to pray about it, can I just be honest with what's going through my head? I'm going, no, you don't. You just need to do it, all right? Just chucking that out there right now, okay? And it says, you're living in, look at Penny's face. I'm sorry, but I'm just saying it, all right? <laughs> She's panicking right there, right? Wood paneled houses. Let, let's just understand what this means, right? The Lord is not, if you've got a nice house, that is the blessing of God in your life, Amen. The Lord, want, the Lord actually promised that you would live in the blessing of something that you never, ever planted. That you would, you know, remember that? One of the things that he said about the people, you're gonna live in houses you didn't build. You're gonna pull up crops that you never planted. Remember, an abundant kingdom oversupplied with every need that you have. Having a nice house is not what he's talking about here. So let's forget about that. This is not a call. You know, I used to read books when I was a teenager that right now, they actually make me wince. You know, it's like, you know when you're young and you want to change the world and it's like, we're all going to live in a cardboard box and eat out of a dumpster because that's what Jesus wants and all that. Like, there's this book years ago called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger and you would have felt like, Five pages in, honestly, it was, the, it was a book that did the rounds when I was a kid. And five pages in, honestly, you were going to sell everything and everyone, probably your own kidneys, because how dare you have kidneys when there's people in the world that don't? Do you know what I mean? It's like, cut them out, Jesus, and I give them to you. It was complete nonsense, right? Remember, this is not about fancy houses. This is about priority. Nothing wrong with being super blessed. In fact, you know, Penny and I, you know, Penny was telling me about something she was listening to this week. We were talking about it. Bill Johnson talking about prosperity in the kingdom point of view. So if you don't want to be prospered, you're just selfish. Let that one sink. We should desire prosperity. Why? Because how on earth is the world going to see that he is God? And how on earth are we going to change anything? Awful hard to, to help somebody when you don't have a pound in your pocket. You get that? So it's not... For the sake of me, it's for the sake of the kingdom of God and what he's building. And the interesting thing about wood paneled houses, it's a pan in Hebrew. See, what happened is wood was very scarce and it was very expensive back in, the, in those times. And remember in the, in the tabernacle, they, they had the, the woods, you know, there's wood everywhere. And essentially, what, what's the picture? What the Lord was saying is, like, what you're doing is you're taking what I've given you and blessed you with, and you're not using it, prioritizing it first for my kingdom and my house, you're prioritizing it for your own. 
Now, let me go back to, that's an adversary which takes away grace. Do you get that? And when we take away grace, we live in a place of denial or a place of delay, not denial, but a place of delay. And the Lord's leading you from grace to grace and glory to glory. So he's not saying, don't have a nice house. Don't be blessed. Don't seek prosperity. He's saying, keep it in the right order. Me and my house first. And then from that place, everything flows. Do you get that? And why does that matter to the Lord? Because this exchange church, folks, is a place where people come and they encounter the grace of Jesus. It's a place with the altar at the center. The, as I said last week, the cross set on its right foundation, where it's about Jesus and his love for people, Jesus and his goodness for people. And the Lord says, prioritize that. Because it's fine, you know, it's like the Lord doesn't love you any less, but you're the one who's missing out on the grace to grace experience. When you have resource in your hand that the Lord has blessed you with, but it's about you first and then the kingdom or the house of God, if you like. He's just saying, if you get that in the right order, not only will it free you and set you into a whole new place, there is blessing beyond what you could ever comprehend. And we're not... And, as Jesus described, money's the least of that. It's on health and wholeness and prosperity and purpose and everything else that we long for when our heart is turned to the house of God. Why? Because it's a place of grace where men, women, and children encounter him. Does that make sense? If you've got wood-paneled housing, don't be... Like, I laughed at this, man. Like, going home and ripping it out. Honestly. There was a book... Did anyone read a book years ago called Pop Goes the Gospel? Oh, you people were saved, right? So you're going to laugh at this, right? What happens when people, I need to hurry up. He's enjoying this though? Yeah. Uh, good. Because the next one, Zechariah, is brilliant. So what happens is, Pop Goes the Gospel years ago, was this book written about backmasking in pop music. You know, backmasking is when if you play, like Christians are mental sometimes. So if you played things backwards, right? Like apparently there's a Queen song where it goes, it's fun to smoke marijuana. It's fun to smoke marijuana, right? And it probably is fun to smoke marijuana. I've never done it. However, what these people who wrote the book said, right, was that if you listen to this, it's, even though you're listening forward, the back mask is putting it into your head and you're going to wake up and go, I need marijuana, I need marijuana, right? <laughs> so funny. So my dad, bless him, he's getting a touch this morning, but he's here. So my dad read this book and did my mother. She's not getting away with it. And so he had the most brilliant collection of vinyl, like original vinyl LPs. Like I'm talking Beatles, Meatloaf. I could be living in a wood-paneled house if we flogged them today. These things were unbelievable. But oh no, Big Vern reads Pop Goes the Gospel. And I came home <laughs> one Saturday and there he is out the back with a hammer. I'm going, Meatloaf wasn't on the list. Ah, it was Quaid, doesn't matter. It's bound to be in there somewhere. Bum, bum, bum. Every flipping vinyl smashed into a thousand pieces. I can see Paul Jordan going, what? Honestly, originals of everything. And I'm going, flip, Christians are crazy, right? Pop goes the gospel. Yeah, brilliant, right? So, mate, so don't be going home today and going, for goodness sake, we need to, get, we need to sell the air fryer. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's, we're going to downgrade the air fryer from two drawers to one because you know what? It's the Lord's house. You're entirely missing the point. Do you get me? Grace to grace and glory to glory, the Lord will bless you. But what he says is, listen, you, some, and we, we all do it. When he has blessed us through his grace, what he says is prioritize the place of grace, right? Why? So that many more can come and receive exactly what they need. That's why we give. 
And when you don't do it, it was a place of delay for them. I, I actually believe that sometimes we, un, we underplay the importance of God's house, God's church. Oh, I am the church. Yeah, I get that. But we're called together to be the church. This is church. And I honestly want to encourage you to prioritize the house of God because it was, the, the problem was not being blessed. The problem was simply wrongly ordered priorities. They were content to let almost like what he was saying under, under the law, under, not under the law, under like in the absence of the covenant of grace here, they were actually content to let the, the Lord suffer, if you like, at the expense of their own comfort. But instead, the prophet says they shouldn't have felt any rest until the work of God was as prosperous as their own personal lives. I thought about this a lot. I, can I just talk personally? I don't want to be like, you know, in the New Testament. Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing with Jesus. Do you know what I love about Cana? I, I, I just reckon that in that wedding, there were people having a whale of a time and didn't even understand that it was Jesus who did it. Do you get that? They were probably drinking and being blessed and being filled by all the, 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 the fruit of his work, the fruit of his hand. They didn't even realize it. And, but there were people then who did receive. You know, you think about the lepers. They did receive. How many came back? And I, I, I felt the Lord speak to me this week to go, Andrew, you know, it's like, like look, look for where I've blessed you, but don't be that person who's received grace, but actually what it's done is it's reinforced selfishness. Always remember and come back to the one who healed you in the first place. And here's the thing. Remember what I said at the start. Some of us struggle with this. Why? Because still at our hearts, we, tr- we, we can't trust. We don't trust. We struggle to trust whatever it is. And so selfishness remains there. But the Lord's saying, like, I'm bringing this up to go, you know, because whenever we say, like, give, right? Like, why do we do that? Well, you know, we need heating and we need somewhere. We need to go somewhere else and all that. It's all very, very practical, but that's the sub-layer to what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying this, when you prioritize the work of his grace, set the cross on its right altar, on, the, on its right foundations, okay? You move out of a place of delay into a place of fullness. I believe that. I believe that. And I have to come back to go, Lord, you're leading me from grace to grace and glory to glory here. Does that make sense? Now, Zechariah, let, let me um, go on to that. So the last thing is, that's why he says in Haggai 178, sorry, he says, consider your ways. Think, he's just saying, think about it. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build a temple. So the wood that should have came to the temple, they were putting in their houses. That was the point. The priorities were wrong. And he says, I'll take pleasure in that and be glorified in it. Isn't it interesting that God is glorified in that when we do it? Oh God, I want you to be glorified. I want to see the glory of God in my life. Oh God is glorified when our hearts are turned towards the place, the place, the, the place where the altar is at the center of the work of Jesus. God loves that. Do you know what? Jesus is the head of the church and he's coming back for it. Church and all of its mess and frustration and God knows we could write a book. But this, there ain't no plan B for him. He loves the church. So he says prioritize it. It makes no sense in the natural, does it? It doesn't make any sense. Other than where else in this world is there a place of grace? All right. Is this okay? Can I just finish off? Well, do Zechariah, because it's interesting. If I left it there, all right, it's, um, I was reading Philippians 2 this morning. Uh, 
says where Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And uh, it's what's interesting for me is God called these people to work. And sometimes God's cause needs work to be done, right? We need to pray and to give and to turn up and to serve and to reach out and, you know, and like not make excuses for ourselves. Go, this is not the time for this. The Lord's going, look, it's for your, like my purpose is going to be fulfilled. You want to be right in the center of it for your life because that's where it makes most sense for you. And I think what happens there is they, there was a delay initially, you see, which wasn't their own choosing. But because of how they responded to it, they, that delay, you know, the, the, the original delay was beyond their control, let me put it that way. But then they started to choose the delay by how they were living. So what about Zechariah? See, if he left it there, you go, flip me. Like, that's a great, I, I, I've listened to that stuff preached, right? Gone and, like I said, sold everything and, then Zechariah, so the Lord always brings things around and puts it in context. So this guy, Zechariah, is the son of Iddo. Um, some of his prophecy is also recorded in the book of Zechariah. But so Haggai, the Lord comes along and goes, look, here, it's a direct encouragement. Get busy building, building the house of God. Use your time, your money, your effort, your kids, get, get full on, right? And so that's what Haggai's doing. Why? Because you build a place of grace and that's what the Lord wants. That's why we're here in the world. Then Zechariah's prophecy was mostly directed at their spiritual condition. The, the name Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And it's a really fitting name for a prophet who's involved in restoration. Because Haggai, is, these two things, it's interesting the Lord brings them. It's not one or the other, it's both together. So Haggai's about, come on, prioritize your life, get it in the right order, this is where you put it. And like, if we just left it there, that would sound very legalistic, wouldn't it? You could take it that way to go flip, this is just. But what the Lord says is then Zechariah comes along and he says, this is the Lord remembering. And he, it's all about, um, he, he was all about who they were, how they were doing uh, and reminding them, okay? He, he encouraged them indirectly by telling them about God's care for them and keeping the altar, the presence of the Messiah very much in their minds. Do you get that? So he was like, they, they, they'd started, they'd lost they had lost momentum. And so the Lord says, well, get busy building again. But here, I'm gonna raise up this other prophet who's gonna remind you to stay in the presence of God, to keep the presence of God at the center because everything you do must flow from who you are. So even when I'm calling you to build, it's not separate from. In fact, Zechariah brings them back to the point to go, you put the altar at the center and never lose it. Because what you do is always rooted in who you are and you can't forget that. So the Lord raises up the two voices at the same time to go, this is the grace of God for you. This is how he loves you. This is the overabundance of the kingdom for you. This is like whatever your need is. And he is just massively, massively generous in everything that he does because that's the kingdom. And those two things, it's not like if you go there, right? You're gonna, you're gonna lose, you go there, you put the two together because from this one, this flows. Does that make sense? And so therefore, this is not a burden. This is not a condemnation. This is not a weight. This is I get to give my life to the purpose of God because this is who he is and what he's done for me. And so the Lord, even back in the Old Testament, isn't it amazing how he raises the two prophets up? to give them different voices and different, different voices. But essentially, when you put the two together, you get the complete work. Because I, I, I think for many of us in grace, what happens is we go, oh, he just loves me so much. 
And he does, okay? I've spent a whole first bit of this sermon going, that's how he loves you. And therefore, it's, it's irrelevant what I do from that point. No, it's not. It's not either or, it's both. Not because it gets you, but because of what he has done. That's where Jesus says in Philippians 2, set aside heaven and came. Do you get that? Like Jesus could have, have you ever thought, have you ever thought, um, you know what it says about how the Lord would get tired and weary of people and like would go away and would rest and all that kind of stuff? He worked. He worked. He probably could have arrived on a massive big white horse somewhere in the clouds. Ever thought about this? That's what I would have done. Gone. Here I am, right? And everyone would have seen him and all that. But he sets all of heaven aside, comes as a man, comes fully human, walks amongst us, lives amongst us, breathes amongst us, works amongst us, goes through the countryside, the towns, the villages, you know, to the point where they're trying to kill him and all sorts of stuff. He sets it aside and he gets to work. Not because of anything other than that's just who he was. If you're, can I tell you this morning, if you're feeling tired sometimes, when it comes to God in his house, it's because you're doing it from a place where he's not actually at the center. So put the cross back on its proper foundation and receive grace. I'm from there, but don't stay there. Keep moving. Let me just follow it, finish by saying this. Like, if, oh, I'll just finish up actually. Look, if all we had was Haggai to go by this morning, you might conclude that, all God's interested in, and you see people do this, all he's interested in is the temple. Pastors preach this stuff because all they want is a big church and all the rest of it. You're missing the point, okay? That's not what it's about. Zechariah gives the rest of the story and shows that God is most interested in them and then the building of the, of the house of God. It's both. Close your eyes for a wee moment. I don't want to rush past this this morning. Worship guys, if you want to come up. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. And uh, Lord, you know who you're speaking to, Father. You know how you're encouraging, you know how you're ministering right now, Lord. And I pray that this morning, that there would be a freedom this morning for people who feel like they, as it says in your word here, they've planted much, but they haven't harvested. You kind of feel like you eat, but you never have enough. Drinking, but you're never full. Putting on clothes, but you're not warm. Earning wages, you'll need to put them in a purse with holes in it. Lord says, give careful thought to your ways. Father, I pray this morning for grace upon grace on this house. I pray, Father, I thank you that you've called Exchange Church to be a house of grace, a house of miracles. Lord, a house where men, women, and children in these days, in Belfast and beyond, encounter the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of Jesus. Father, we put you and your cross and its work at the very center. Lord, from that place of atonement and that place of grace, we say thank you. And we draw all that we need. Father, we draw all that you have done for us. Father, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love, an abundant love. 
I thank you right now into every situation. I pray a release of the kingdom of God, the generous kingdom of God. I pray right now for people who are in lack, that they would see the favor of God this week, that things would turn around in your favor, that people who are sick in this place, if you're sick this morning, just put your hand where you're sick. We're gonna pray and say, Lord, thank you that right now you're ministering into that place of sickness, that place of illness, in Jesus' name, in minds and in bodies. Right now, we pray a release of your Holy Spirit into those bodies right now, in Jesus' name. The kingdom come, in Jesus' name. Grace upon grace over you this week, for your minds, for your hearts this morning, I pray peace upon peace, the peace that goes beyond anything the world can give or could understand, that you would know that you are loved securely, by the King. And I pray that today, where the Lord is encouraging you about priority, that you wouldn't see that as a weight because it's not. He's leading you from grace to grace and glory to glory. I pray that this week that your heart would expand with the seeds that have been sown in it today, that you would see the call of God on your life, the purpose of God on your life, to build his house, to build a place where men, women, and children come to encounter the same grace that you sit in today the same grace that you love today. Jesus says right now, I am gonna this week put you in a place where you can share and bring and encourage those people, bring the healing of God, the power of God, the fullness of God. And as you step boldly into that place, the Lord says, just watch what my grace will do for them. And so Jesus, we love you. We thank you this morning for your word. Father, we thank you that this is not just about go do, but it's about you reminding us who we are and how you love us. Father, we don't want to accept delay anymore because we choose it. But Father, we want to choose grace. We want to choose trust. We want to choose faith. And we want to choose boldness in these days so that we see grace explode, not just in our lives, but in this city, in this nation, across the world. And Amen. Stand to your feet, folks. And uh, we're going to take communion together. And uh, reach under your seat. You'll find there's a wee communion thing. If you're sick this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to take this uh, wafer in your hands and just say, Father, thank you that right now in this place, your Holy Spirit, Spirit is ministering life to me over my every system in my body, over my heart and arteries, my blood pressure, my stomach and digestion, my knees and muscles and my back, my head, my thinking, everything right now under the finished work of Jesus. You know, whatever your condition is, I always find this really helpful to go, Jesus in this moment doesn't have that. And as he is, so am I. So Father, you don't have pain anywhere. You don't have pain in your knees. You don't have, so as you are Lord, I speak it over myself and believe that in this moment, I'm receiving all the healing that I need. Amen. Amen. And Father, we thank you that everything we've talked about this morning hedges on your finished work of grace. Father, bought at a great price, the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, I thank you that today that you are, your blood, Lord, it speaks over us today. It speaks freedom. It speaks healing. It speaks provision. It speaks security. It speaks right to the very heart of us that we are acceptable to you, righteous God, absolutely righteous. And Father, I pray that and I speak it over you, church. You're totally acceptable to God. He loves you in every way. There's not one thing about you that is holding him back from you in any way. You are righteous this morning because of this work. So as you drink, believe it, receive it, and say, yes, Lord. 
Okay, we're going to worship together just to finish. We're going to lift our offering, be generous, listen to the Lord, bring your tithes, your offerings, sow into what the Lord is doing in this place. Remember, um, you'd never hear about uh, money before you've heard about Jesus. So let's get ready to, to receive that. But listen, this last song before we head out, just take a moment, let the Lord speak into your heart, okay? And allow the Lord this, just to, you know, to, to really let that word not just disappear in a moment, but what he's spoken to you. Just say, Lord, this week I'm going to chew on that. I'm going to receive that. I'm going to worship you and lift my hands and my heart to you at this time. Amen. Amen.